Acts chapter 16, verses 30 through 34. Acts chapter 16, verses 30 through 34. And uh, let me adjust this all of a sudden. It was showing my legs and nothing else. David and Sarah watching online this morning, they had uh, messaged me earlier, and so they probably were like, well, what's this all about? And I'm like, what's this all about also? <laughs> so now, hopefully, it's good, and uh, everything is okay. Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 30. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. God often works in unusual places, unusual ways, unusual times. We as humans often try to put God in a box. It's like you can only do this and nothing Uh, back in the early 80s, while we still lived down in the sand hills, and I, I worked as a machinist, and, and I'd gone out for lunch that, that day and was listening to the radio in my truck, and there was this preacher on the radio that made this statement. The only place you can be saved is in a church with a biblical name. I thought to myself, what? You, you can't get saved anywhere except for in a church, and that church has got to have a Bible name. And the first thought that I had was, what about the poor old thief on the cross? He didn't know what a church was. He didn't know what a Bible name was. And the best I can understand Scripture, Jesus said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. I believe the thief got saved right there on that cross without ever going into a church, without ever even probably have read scripture or heard scripture, and without even being baptized, he got saved and went to heaven. But so often men, when I say men, I'm talking about mankind in general, men and women both, we try to put God in this box and say, Oh, God, you can only do it this way or you can only do it that way. Uh, in the early days of the contemporary church, I had friends who were like, contemporary church doesn't even belong in hell. Well, here's the thing. God, God has blessed a lot of contemporary churches and God has saved a lot of people through contemporary churches and contemporary music. And, and God is the one who decides if it's going to fly or not fly. It's not little old me I can't say yay nor nay. God does so. But we, we still try to put God in this box and like, 
God, you can't do it this way. You can't use them and you can't do that. You, you've got to fit my little box. Well, in our scripture today, God got out of the box again. He didn't stay in the confinement that people wanted to place him in. What we find in our scripture today, the, the background for what we read is in verses 16 through 29. And let me kind of just briefly share that background with you before we get into the actual message. Number one, in these verses, Paul has met this young lady who is possessed of, of a demon, and, and Paul casts that demon out of this young lady. Well, what do you think happened because of that? You would have thought there'd been rejoicing and hallelujahs. But the owner of that young lady was like, all of a sudden, there goes my income. He was making money off of her. And now there was no income coming in. He became very upset, went to the authorities. And do you know that Paul and Silas were then beaten and placed in prison all because he cast a demon out of this young girl? Well, Paul and Silas are in prison. And you would think, or I would think, that they'd be in prison going, Oh, woe is me. I am so misunderstood. They don't understand what we did. You, you'd thought they'd be having a pity party, but the scripture says instead they were in prison singing and praying. They were having a song convention. They, they were having a, a praying convention, even though they were in prison. While they're singing and praying, God shakes the prison with an earthquake. And when he shakes the prison with the earthquake, the, the doors are open to the jail cells, and the, the bonds of the prisoners, the chains, the shackles, or whatever was used, that they were loosened. Man, you're talking about an event. An earthquake shaking the jail, and all of a sudden everybody has been loosed. Well, when the prison guard saw that, he knew his head was on the block. He had been given the, the responsibility of making sure these prisoners were in jail and that they could not get free, they could not get out, and all of a sudden, not just one, not just two, but the whole jail cell is free and empty. So he knew that he was going to be killed anyway, and so he drew his sword to do what? To kill himself. He's like, I'm, I'm a goner. And I'll choose the way I want to go out. I, I am going to kill myself the way that I want to. No, there will be no torture. I'll just kill myself. And Paul cried out to him, Don't do yourself any harm. We are all still here. Wow. You would have thought that every prisoner in that place would have been gone lickety-split. Right? Y'all understand lickety-split? I, I mean, you know, I, I use some of these terms that, that I've known since a boy down in the Sand Hills, and I want to make sure y'all understand what I'm saying because I can come up with some sayings every once in a while. I remember the time I was talking about having some pot liquor, and church members were looking at me like, what? Y'all do know what pot liquor is, right? That's, that's 
that's the liquid from, from turnips. You pour it into a bowl and put cornbread in it. That, that's pot liquor. See? I knew y'all didn't understand all of my terminology. And I, I need to make sure that I explain my... I had explained to the church that day that I was not at home drinking liquor. That, that it was turnip soup and cornbread. Johnny probably knew what pot liquor was. Yeah, he... He's like me, he's older than dirt. He, he, knows, he knows things. But you, it, it was amazing that nobody ran. Not only that, but Paul, who had been beaten and thrown into jail and locked up, who should have had every reason in, in, in the world to say, go ahead and kill yourself and be done with it. Paul instead saved him from doing that very thing. We are all still here. God is out of the box. He, he is not doing things the normal way. This is not in the tabernacle. This is not in the temple. This is not in a church meeting. This is in the jailhouse. That God is doing what only God can do. So that brings us now to verses 30 through 34. And there are three divisions that I want to break this into uh, as we examine these verses of scripture number one the question that was asked in verse 30 look again in verse 30 where it says that sirs here's the question and it is the question of all questions what must I do to be saved of all the questions that can ever be asked that is the most important question ever. It is the question of all questions. What must I do to be saved? This, this question was a probing question. Must, what must I do? He, he's probing them and saying, tell me exactly. I, I need to know how to be saved. He, he was looking for the answer, not a answer, some supposition, but he wanted to know the answer. It, it was probing what must, and it was personal, what must I do to be saved? Not, not these other prisoners, not, not my family back home, but what must I do? He understood the that, that it's a personal matter between him and God. Always has been, always will be. A personal matter between an individual and God concerning salvation. It is not a church matter. It is not a denominational matter. It, it's not an ethnic matter. It, it's not a social matter. It is a personal matter between an individual and God. What must I do to be saved? Well, this question was probing, and it was personal. It was also proper, because he didn't have a clue. He, he maybe had been to the temple. He maybe had been in a service occasionally. He maybe had heard some Old Testament scripture read. He maybe, maybe knew a little bit about religion. But he knew nothing about salvation. 
He knew nothing about what was required for salvation. And so he is saying, I, I, I need to know this. I must know this. It was proper for him to ask that question of the very ones he had been tasked with guarding and keeping in the prison. So the first division is the question that was asked. The second division is the answer that was given. Anytime there's a question, there should be an answer, right? If you've raised children or raising children or if you have grandchildren, don't they ask a lot of questions? Uh, I remember Melissa and Philip. They ask a whole bunch of questions that I didn't always have an answer for, but I'd make up an answer. Or I'd say simply because I said so. Have y'all tried that one yet? Just because I said so? Wes, did you ever say just because I said so? My daughter hated that answer. And her first year out of high school, she worked at a daycare center in Landrum with little snotty-nosed kids, Sharon. And she came home for lunch one day, and she said, I said what I hated to hear y'all say. Why, Miss Melissa? Because I said so. I said sometimes that's the only answer you can give. Just because I said so, just go do it. But, but usually when there's a question, so what was the answer that was given to this jailer who was about to take his life? The answer that was given in verse 31 starts off with this. It was a sure answer. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. There was no doubt in, in their mind. There, there was no doubt in Paul's mind as to what was required. There was no doubt in how to answer this question. He, he answered it very surely. You shall be, you will be saved if you do this. Sometimes in our society now and in some churches, and I use the word church loosely, there seems to be confusion about what salvation is. And they don't give sure answers. Well, if you ask me, I will give you a very sure answer based upon Scripture what salvation is. Not what I think it might be, not what I hope it will be, not what somebody says it should be, but I will tell you what Scripture says about being saved. That's the only source we have for a real understanding of this matter of salvation. So, so it was a sure answer, and it was a singular answer, in that Paul and Silas both agreed, because it says, and they said unto him. They. Paul had said one thing, and Silas had said something else. Do you know how confused that old jailer would have been? Which one do I listen to? Which one is right? But they believed the same, and they gave the same answer. Friends, in our churches in America today, we've got to get back to understanding what the Bible teaches about this matter and other matters and speak with a unified voice that we all say the same thing, that this is the matter of salvation. It's not what the world wants it to be. It's what Scripture teaches it to be. 
So they were unified in their answer to this jailer. So the answer was sure, you will be saved. It was singular. Paul and Silas agreed together on what it was, but it was simple. It was no long theological equation of any kind. They they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. The matter of salvation is so simple that even a child can hear, believe, and be saved. The Bible does say that we have to come to Christ, how? As little children. We have to humble ourselves. We have to be as a child. We have to be willing to accept willing to believe even that which we don't always understand. And that's what Paul and Silas is saying to this jailer. You you have got to just believe in him. And and here's a definition that I ran across years ago about this believing in or believing on, depending on the translation. It says, give yourself up to him, take yourself out of your own keeping, and entrust yourself into his keeping. I don't know about y'all, but I can't keep myself too good. Can, can y'all keep yourselves? How, how good do you do at keeping yourselves? I can keep myself in trouble. Anybody else here? Anybody else here know how to keep yourself in trouble? Yeah, is, is it a given? Uh, do you wake up of a morning sometimes, and the first thing you say, "Get yourself in trouble." Do you wake up and look over and say, "Well, you look rough this morning." And get a reply back, you don't look so hot yourself either. So we can get ourselves in trouble. Or you cook this? Wow. Or what used to get my mama about my daddy, especially early on in their marriage, she'd cook something, and the stories that were told was that that's not the way mama cooked it. That'd get you in trouble. I think she finally said something to the extent, go let your mama cook for you. That ain't the way mama cooked it. It don't taste like what mama cooked. I have never dared to tell Rhonda that whatever she cooked didn't taste like what my mama cooked. I've always said, honey, I love your cooking. You cook all you want to and I'll eat all I want to. The only time I ever said anything about her cooking was about the first year in marriage after she fixed another box of Kraft macaroni and cheese for me to eat. And I sat down at supper and I looked at it and I said, you know, if this is the only kind of macaroni and cheese we can have, let's just don't have macaroni and cheese anymore. Next time we had macaroni and cheese, guess what? She cooked it from scratch. That's the only time I ever said anything But if you ever had Kraft macaroni and cheese from 1975, that stuff is just nasty. But that's all her mama had ever cooked. That's all she ever knew. And I'm like, well, let's let's just do better. But I digress. You know, I've got myself in trouble a time or two. We, We all do. So we have to just quit trying to take care of ourselves and entrust ourselves to him. And that's what salvation is. I've taken myself out of the driver's seat as far as being saved. I've taken myself out of the driver's seat as far as going to heaven. I've taken myself out of the driver's seat as to what is right and what is wrong. And I said, Lord, I'm entrusting you to show me all of this, and I'm entrusting you to take me to heaven. I'm entrusting you to do exactly what needs to be done. 
That's what salvation is. I'm no longer in charge. You are. It's what you say that matters. So the first division, the question that was asked. The second division, the answer that was given. The third division, the result that was evident. There there was an amazing result that took place because of the question and the answer. Verses 33 through 34. Verse 32 was back up. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So the result, number one, was he had a new compassion. A jailer, especially of that era, I doubt had any compassion. Or at most very little compassion over those under their watch. They were not known to be good people nor kind people. They put them in bad places and kept them there. And all of a sudden, here this jailer is, who is full of compassion, washes their wounds from when they were beaten before they were put in jail. And then he fed them because while they'd been in jail, I doubt they'd had much to eat, if anything. And here this old rough jailer is who has heard about salvation and had to be saved by believing in Jesus Christ. We find all of a sudden he has compassion for others, even those that he had been given the charge to watch over. But he also had a new commitment. Look in verse 33. He was baptized at once. He believed what Paul and Silas said. He understood the gospel. He accepted the gospel, and he was immediately baptized. Baptism only comes after you know Christ is your Lord and Savior. Baptism is not about getting into heaven. Baptism does not save anyone. We we could open up this baptistry up here, And we could have a a baptismal service and say, everybody come and I'll baptize you and you'll be saved. And they could come from far and near and I could baptize every one of them in this baptismal pool and they could leave from here wet and lost. Because that water, the baptismal part, does not save anyone. So before there was a baptismal that took place, He had accepted the words they had told him about believing in Jesus Christ. But then he publicly declared by means of baptism to those around about his new faith. He had a new compassion, he had a new commitment, and he had a new cheer. In verse 34, it says, And he rejoiced along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. He rejoiced. I doubt an old hard-hearted jailer of that day did a lot of rejoicing. I couldn't imagine what that job would have been like. 
the conditions for the jailer probably was not much better than the conditions were for those who were in jail. I, I can't imagine that he had a lot of joy in his life. He saw some of the worst of the worst come through. He, he saw all manner of people, and, and some of those he knew were going to be killed, some were going to be tortured. He knew that life for them was not going to be good, and I can only imagine as he looked at this every day and dealt with this every day, I can only imagine that he didn't have a lot of happiness in his life. But on this day, he rejoiced because he got saved. He was baptized. Not just him, but the scripture says, and his family. As he believed, so believed his family. As he was baptized, so were baptized his family members. That was a glorious hallelujah time. And God was out of the box. God had done a miracle of salvation in the middle of one of the worst places you could imagine, in a jail and had softened the heart of a hard-hearted, callous individual, had saved him, he had been baptized, his family became believers, his family was baptized. God was not in the box. God was doing what God wanted to do. Don't you think it's time that we just turn God loose and let God do what God wants to do? and try to make it him fit our programs. And today, th those who are here, those who are going to be watching here, you may need to ask the same question that the jailer asked. Maybe you've never really known what salvation was. For a lot of people, they decide to be a better person, to turn over a new leaf. They even begin to attend church. Some even joined the church. Outwardly, they, they, they look different. But inwardly, they're still the same person that they were unless they've accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. Turning over a new leaf, changing the way you live, going to church, joining a church, being a church member, all of that is commendable. But none of that saves anyone. Salvation only comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. At some point, every individual has to ask the same question that the jailer asked, what must I do to be saved? And it's through that question that God provides the answer. It may be that today, those who are here, middle of the week, those who will be watching later, it may be that God will use this message to answer that question for you. What must I do to be saved? He, he may clear up the confusion for you. He, he may make it clear what you need to do. And trust me, when an individual turns his or her life over to Christ, we'll turn over a new leaf. They will change the way that they live. They will be a better person. And they'll make a much better church member. Lost church members cause a lot of problems. Saved church members 
only want to see the gospel go forward. What must I do to be saved? That is the question of questions that every man, woman, boy, and girl must ask at some point in their life and then await the answer from God as he reveals through prayer, through preaching, through music, through testimony, he reveals the way of salvation to an individual. We don't just decide one day, I, I just want to get saved. The Spirit draws. And it says the Spirit draws that we have a desire to be saved. And it says the Spirit draws that we are then able to go to Christ, confess our sins, and be born into the family of God. And that's the best family to be in. I mean, I, I'm in a good family with Rhonda and Melissa and Philip and Mark and Nathan and Hannah. I'm in a good family. I'm in a good family here at church with y'all. I mean, I like y'all. Can, can you? I like all of y'all. And I think y'all maybe put up with me at least or, or, or like me. You're just waiting for Rhonda to get here. But But whatever. I'm a member of, of a good family at home. I'm a member of a good family here. But the best family is the family of God. That is the best family to be a part of. And God then makes these other families better. You may even have a work family. Some work families are tough. But if you're working with fellow believers, it makes a big difference in that work family. So the question of questions for you today is, have you asked this question, what must I do to be saved? And then have you answered that question and accept that Christ is... Bow your heads.